once again, welcome everybody to our time together this evening. I think many of you, maybe most of you know that today is Memorial Day here in this place that we're currently calling the United States. And it's it's a day set aside to honor and remember and to also grieve those who have died while serving in the, the US military. And tonight in honor of this day, what I'd like to do is I'd like to expand the sense of Memorial Day a little bit. And the way I'd like to expand it is just an invitation to include all of those people who have been important to you, who were important to you in some way that, that we feel drawn to honor and to remember and to possibly also grieve, to bring them into our space here, those people who have touched you in some way, and, and it feels like this is a, a good day to bring them forward in, in some kind of manner. And for me, this is a way to uh, also honor and remember my mother-in-law who just passed away recently. And, you know, I, I wasn't particularly close to her just because there's now been several years that she was in a, a memory care unit uh, from severe dementia. And at the same time, she was and she still is a part of my life. And also just in this, uh, in this spirit of honoring, honoring those, those who have died, uh, this will be continued next week. So next week, Michelle McClatchy will be giving a Dharma talk and it will be offering a talk as a way of honoring a person here in our wider Flagstaff community who we lost. Many of you might know Katie Whittakind, who died about two weeks ago. So she'll be carrying this forward um, in terms of that, right. a, a, a way of honoring her interwoven with our Dharma practice and bringing in some of the values that we, we hold together. And the approach that I'd like to take tonight in this kind of in this spirit of Memorial Day in this more expansive uh, manner is I'd like to share with you different ways of perceiving the loss of someone, different ways of perceiving that experience that actually I found has been really helpful to give kind of a meaningfulness in that context and also a, a kind of a dimensionality or a depth to it. And it, it broadens kind of the meaningfulness often to my relationship of whoever that person was who, who died. And this also ties into what I shared last week on Monday, which was uh, I was sharing some reflections on this word insight. What does this word insight mean? And so you might remember I, I gave a, a definition of it, of it being a process of shifting perception a way of shifting perception that, that brings uh, freedom from stress. So tonight, around this shifting percep perception around uh, loss and death, um, it's, it's going to be a bit similar and a bit different than this kind of this domain of insight. It's similar because I'm going to be once again talking about shifting perception. How can I vary perception? How can I perceive and experience a little bit from a different perspective. 
So in this context, it's shifting perception around the loss of someone. And it's also different. And the way it's different is that it's, uh, it's not precisely about bringing freedom from stress in a direct way like insight does through shifting perception. It's, a, it's, it's functioning a little bit different, this, this changing of perception. Because as I said, it, it's for me, it more brings about this kind of the sense of meaningfulness or depth and dimensionality to these experiences of loss. loss. And they also feel onward leading in this way, and they support this path, but a little bit different than like this direct letting go that can happen with insight. And just a, a caveat when I begin to, to please remember when I share a, another way of perceiving something, uh, to remember with any experience, there's so many different ways of perceiving it. So this is just one. And I don't mean to, I guess the word would be totalize it, like this is the way you should be perceiving a certain experience, but more to just stretch and bring some dimension to how we relate to experiences and how we, we perceive them. And, and sometimes maybe even tonight, these perceptions might feel contradictory or the opposite of other perceptions that you find helpful. And I find that that's okay, like to have that fluidity, it's relieving. And as I have sometimes been wont to do, uh, I'll, I'll be sharing uh, some of these reflections with the help of poetry, because what I love about some of the poetry I read is that uh, some of it, it's like it invites me to try on a different way of experience, uh, of, of perceiving experience. It like, it like gives a little bit different angle and it opens up something for me. And I find it really helpful in this, this context. In light of this, I, I want to begin with this poem by Liesel Mueller called In Passing, because I think it, it's going to uh, illuminate a particular angle around loss and especially the loss of someone, even though she's speaking more generally here. She begins, how swiftly the strained honey of afternoon light flows into darkness. And the closed bud shrugs off its special mystery in order to break into blossom. As if what exists exists so that it can be lost and become precious. I'm wondering if you heard uh, this invitation for a shift in this poem that I feel like the poet is giving me. And I think there might be many ways of reading it, but for me, here's one way, and it's really captured in that last stanza. You know, she says, as if what exists, it exists so that it can be lost and then become precious. So things exist, things and people and other beings. And one of the reasons they exist is so that they can be, uh, be lost. And in the losing of them, they become precious. And the reason why this struck me is that this feels like, for me at least, a very different way of perceiving the preciousness of people. 
So my usual way of kind of gaining an entry or a doorway into kind of touching what I'd call the preciousness of someone is more um, taking in the fact that they are impermanent, that they're going to die. And therefore, I want to fully behold them as fully as I can right now in this moment while they're living. And then I get to touch their preciousness while they're living. Does it make sense? You ever have the sense of like, time is short and I really value this person and I want to be here for them and to be there because they're precious while living. And are you hearing that this is different than that? Right? And it's not negating that perception. That's a great perception. It's rather, it's that people take on a, a particular preciousness for me after they die as well. Something gets illuminated, but it happens after they die, after I've lost them. They gain a preciousness or what I would say around this, this language is, for me, when I've lost someone, uh, they begin to have a kind of presence in my life through their absence. They're present for me in a different way, but a particular way in their absence. It's, it's like the language, again, I'd use, it's like they begin to live in me in a new way. And I begin to have a different relationship to them. And, and I, I want to say this has been so helpful, helpful for me to take on this way of perceiving at times around the loss of someone close to me because it's added so much depth and dimensionality around loss. So one example, you know, what comes to mind for me as an example is uh, a friend of mine who died uh, about four years ago. And now she still is precious to me in a new way. She really is present in me in a new way, and it's through her absence. I think I, I first met her when I was probably 19 or 20. So I, I knew her for a long time, and sometimes our lives were close and sometimes quite, a, uh, quite apart during all those years. But I remember first meeting her and uh, it was her wild, this like wild and brilliant curiosity about everything and everybody that, that feel, still feels palpable to me when she comes into my heart. And I, I feel like she inspires me to be in the world in this, this, this different way. It's like she, she continues to touch me and now that she's lost, she's gone, she's died, she is precious in this way that, that actually feels onward leading to me. Do, do you hear the shift in perception of how I'm sharing this? And, and maybe at times you've felt these kinds of things around loss, where you feel some kind of presence, whatever that means to you in the absence. And, and I find it actually helpful to deepen that perception and to refine it. 
I think it's important to remember, I, I get this uh, a bit from this teacher, Rob Berbea, that the being in physical presence with someone is often just a small part of our relationship with them, that act of being in physical presence with someone. There's a lot more to that relationship of just being in physical presence with someone. It's really just a part, maybe even a small part. And when they die, that physical presence is gone, but the rest remains. There's actually whole worlds there, whole dimensions that are still there in the quote-unquote relationship. I also want to point out that this shift in perception, that there's something precious that I begin to touch after someone passes away, that I also can even find uh, so helpful, even in the deeply challenging times around loss, around the grief and the challenge of that shift. And I want to share with you another poem. And it's actually a, a poem written uh, by my friend who died. She was really brilliant with, with language. Her name's Heather Noon. And she wrote this poem around the, the death of her father-in-law. Um, she was really close to her father-in-law. And I think it, it reveals, again, some of these elements of this way of perceiving differently, especially in the, the tough times of, of loss too. So this is, you know, around her father-in-law. So she begins the poem. Do not leave me here on this dark side of that bright door. Rather, sit with me again by this window and let us talk and laugh as the sun climbs an ever same sky arching over a never-changing world. Until together we shiver in the shadow of a bold-faced cloud and sigh and say, togetherness will end. But not today. Thank grace and goodness we have today. So let me hold your hand and smooth your fingers and let us each draw from that grasp the strength that you or I will need when you or I will be called away from an ever-changing sky over a never-same world. But not today, no. Today, let time sit with us and laugh as we clutch bone-white cups and drink dark water dosed with sugar against the bitterness of things to come. Today, let us press our fingers more tightly and hold each other's gaze with the courage we hope to have when this clasping of hands and this gazing of eyes is the longed-for moment. The moment when 
The moment sought when one of us sits alone beneath the shadow of a bold-faced cloud clutching a bone-white water that no sugar can sweeten. When one of us sits bereft of time, gazing at an empty chair across a laughless table, pleading, do not leave me here on this dark side of this of that bright door. And I perceive and remember days like that with the person who is now gone from my life those days where she puts it, that we held our hands together, gazing at each other. And then discovering the courage, courage we hope to have when loss happens. And some of this for me is, is can I allow myself to still feel in my hand and on my skin, the touch and support of that person's hand. And remember the experience of tenderness in, a, in their eyes when I looked at them. And I wanna acknowledge sometimes for me, it feels too much for my heart to remember such poignant times as a way that will support me. It just feels too much. And yet what I also discover though, is that through such a memory, it's uh, such a person begins to live in me in a new way. When I allow myself to do so over time, I learn this new way of perceiving. I learn this new way of opening to the preciousness that's there and the presence that's there in their absence. It's a different relationship. It's a different living relationship. They begin to have a kind of presence in my life through their absence, a kind of preciousness that has the potential to be so supportive. So this first way of perceiving, discovering, feeling, that sense of preciousness that can come even in absence. And, and then there's a, another perception that I hopefully you'll hear can be so intertwined with this first way of perceiving or opening to loss. And that's uh, the sense where I'm sensing into uh, the possibility and feeling into that there's a kind of gift here within this experience of loss and death. There's actually a gift there when I slow down. I'm not saying that this is the only perception to have, but one that can really stretch the dimensionality of such experiences.
It's like something can be discovered within the ashes of it all. And, and I find that this particular way of perceiving feels embedded in a, a common practice found in many Buddhist traditions. And it's one that can be quite foreign to uh, many actually modern practitioners. And it's the practice of venerating the relics of the Buddha. And I wanna acknowledge when I first heard about this practice, it was like, I could not relate to it whatsoever. It felt superstitious, not rational, irrelevant for my practice and my path. Just some strange religious thing. You know, what I've noticed is when I slow down and, and really try to take in, oh, you know, I can't relate to this, but this is something that's been deeply meaningful for so many generations of traditional practitioners. And when I do that, I do discover that there's, at least for me, a poetic dimension to it, a poetic significance for me in this notion. Because it opens up this different way of perceiving the gifts that can be there in death. And it gives me a particular image for it. So what is this veneration of the relics of the Buddha? It, it began directly after uh, the Buddha died, so the story goes. And after the Buddha died, uh, what, what these relics were, or were these, uh, what they are, because they're still seen in, uh, in all these enlightened Buddhist practitioners, are these kind of small bead-shaped objects that sometimes have the look of like a pearl or a crystal, and sometimes they can come in different colors. And they're discovered in the remaining ashes after an enlightened practitioner is cremated. They're there in the ashes. So after the Buddha died, there was a whole bunch of relics there in the ashes of his cremated body. And then they were distributed among like a few people and then a few groups of people. And then they were shared and spread out. And then over the centuries, they were enshrined often in some kind of stupa. So in so many different locations. And in order to get a feeling sense of this, it's important to remember that these relics serve and have served as a deep inspiration for so many practitioners. And, and I think it's because there's this, this thought that just to see them or to walk around a stupa that contains them bestows the gift of blessings and energy and inspiration that deepens one's spiritual path. And this is why I am uh, uh, struck by the sense of relics in a poetic sense. That there are these gifts that come out of the ashes of loss that can help free my heart in some way. Like traditionally around the Buddha, it frees my heart and mind in a way that benefits the world. What a beautiful thing. And just to broaden that, you know, it's awful also used around the teachings that the teachings are a kind of relic that carries my heart onward because they too are the, the relics from the ashes.
of the Buddha's death. So here they are, a, a gift given in death that has the potential of carrying me onward. And then allows me to give such gifts in my own death to others. And that's one, one uh, question I just invite you to hold if it resonates for you. What are the gifts given to you in the death of others that carry you onward? What are they? What are they like? What do you notice? And another poem about this, this is uh, uh, a poem by Sarah Holland Batt, and it's called The Gift. And it's a poem that arose out of her experience of her father grappling with uh, Parkinson's for was kind of close to two decades, which ended with the death of her father. So that was the context of this poem. So she begins, in the garden, my father sits in his wheelchair, garlanded by summer hibiscus, like a saint in a 17th century cartouche. A flowering wreath buzzes around his head, passionate red. He holds the gift of death in his lap, oblong, wrapped in black, he has been waiting 17 years to open it and is impatient. When I ask how he is, my father cries. His crying comes as a visitation, the body squeezing tears from his ducts tenderly as a nurse measuring drops of calamine from an amber bottle, as a teen at the car wash ringing a chamois of suds. It is a kind of miracle to see my father weeping this freely, weeping for what is owed him. How are you? I ask again, because his answer depends on an instant's microclimate. His moods bloom and retreat like an anemone as the cold currents whirl around him, crying one minute, sedate the next. But today my father is disconsolate. I'm having a bad day, he says, and then tries again. I'm having a bad year. I'm having a bad decade. I hate myself for noticing his poetry, the triplet that should not be beautiful to my ear, but is. Day, year, decade, scale of awful economy. I want to give him his presence, but it's not mine to give. We sit as if mother and son on Christmas Eve, waiting for midnight to tick over, anticipating the moment we can open his present together. First, my father holding it up to his ear and shaking it. Then me helping him peel back the paper, the weight of his death knocking. And once the box is unwrapped, it will be mine. I will carry the gift of his death endlessly. Every day, I will know it opening in me.
the gift. The gift of death. Every day it's opening in her. And yes, maybe part of this is the gift of the ending of the misery and challenges for him. And for me, it's pointing to something even more than that. To the gifts left in the ashes of it all. What gets evoked from me around this is uh, one of the more vivid memories I have from my childhood. I, I, I grew up in a Catholic family and there was a Catholic priest from Yugoslavia that my, who my family was very close to, Father Tony. And uh, he was so kind to me. There was just a sense of kindness towards me. And I remember I was quite young, really quite young. And, and when he died, my parents took me to where he lay in an open casket. And what I remember about that context, context is here we enter in and we arrive there and there was just the silence of the space. There was no one else there other than a young priest there. And I remember it was the first human dead body I saw. And obviously it was a deeply emotional experience for me to have someone who was so kind and then to have this experience that here he is, his, his body was. It was like I was feeling almost the palpable feeling of his absence through the presence of his corpse. And then at the same time, it was like interwoven with his kindness. And I actually feel so grateful to him that that was my first experience of death, of seeing death, of having it interwoven with someone that I, I felt kindness for. And just that brief experience felt like these relics in the ashes of it all. And, and now it, it's, it's like I, I now carry, it feels like I carry those relics in my pocket along with the relics of so many other people who have touched me and supported me and carried me along. And just as relics work, I, I, I feel like I can feel their blessings and their energy and their inspiration to be kind and compassionate and wise. They fuel my practice, they fuel my life. They inform me because they're alive. It's like I can hear them whispering to me. They continue to be precious to me in this new way. They are now present in me through their absence, offering these gifts that can only be given in the space that opens after death. So may we learn to perceive death and loss in these, in these ways that offer so much depth and dimensionality.
So we can begin to perceive that those we've lost to death begin to have a kind of presence through their absence. A kind of presence, a kind of preciousness that can be so supportive. And to discover the gifts, the relics that are onward leading. Onward leading in a way that, that can benefit ourselves and others and the whole world. Thank you. Thank you for your attention. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.